Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Episode 65. Prioritise local companies for tendering. Working in the public sector means there are certain rules you have to follow, even if you don't agree with them, and even if they make no sense at all. A lot of these things tend to come down to money, or more accurately, spending money, as one has to be accountable for any public money that is spent. One is supposed to try and find the best value for money for a job, which is generally understandable, and it absolutely makes sense. And why wouldn't one want to get the cheapest price for anything, really? However, sometimes the cheapest price at first isn't the best value in the end. In fact, my brother always says, <laughs> what does he say? I think he says, buy cheap, pay twice. Or maybe something like that anyway. I don't think it's just he made it up, but I think it's one of these cliches that I've never heard of. Anyway, many big companies that come in cheap often have a very poor after service. And they also generally don't know the school. And that's where local knowledge can be worth the extra few bob. So in this week's episode, I'll be arguing that if I were the Minister for Education, I would offer grants to local companies who would compete to get a tender. Hello, hello, you are welcome to episode 65 of If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis. This episode is one of those episodes you've probably not considered unless you're a principal of a school or a very over-involved board of management member. However, it might be worth a listen. Um, Even if you're not a principal or a member of a board or, you know, someone in a management position in a school, it might still be worth a listen just to get a bit of an insight as to why your principal can't just nip down to Curry's to buy that laptop you want today or why it takes an excruciating amount of time for an emergency building work to be completed. It's also why the local building company is rarely the one that builds your local school. And to me, it's potentially... It potentially why so many schools were so poorly built in the last two decades. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give some scenarios. It's probably the best uh, way of doing this and start small just to kind of explain when money is being spent in uh, by a school, why it's spent in the way it's spent and why it can take a long time for anything to happen. Because often one might say to their principal, can I have this particular resource? And the principal might say, yeah, no problem at all. And like a couple of months down the line, you still haven't got the resource. Uh, and I'm not talking about small things like, you know, a, a ream of A4 paper or something like that. I'm talking about bigger things, you know, for that might cost a couple of hundred euro or maybe a little bit more uh, and so on. So these are kind of things uh, that I'm trying to explore here um, in this episode. It might give a bit of an insight to those of you who aren't in management in a school um, or even parents who uh, who might listen to this uh, podcast to get a bit of an insight as to how the primary education system works. A little bit of a reason why, why could we not get, um, you know, playground equipment from the local business up the road? Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully this will explain the reasons why, uh, just through creating a few little scenarios. So we'll start small, as I said. You've got a child in your class and they need a laptop, assistive technology, a laptop. Um, as um, And now before we even get to buy this laptop, I just want to show you, explain the hoops people have to jump through um, these days, particularly. So 
we have a situation where there's a child in the class, maybe got a diagnosis of dyslexia, let's say, and it's clear they need a laptop. So this is what has to happen these days. Now, forget about 10 years ago when the world was a different place. And you won't be surprised to hear that I will that the NCSE are involved in why this becomes a difficult situation. The NCSE, for those of you who don't listen to this podcast very often, is National Council for Special Education. They are a kind of, I suppose, I would compare them to uh, what the HSE is to health, uh, the NCSE are to uh, education. This awful bureaucratic I don't know what, I, I suppose, barrier to anything decent happening to the very uh, thing they're set up to actually help. They uh, become the biggest barrier to that help being given. And if I want to get a laptop, what I have to do is I have to fill in a form, um, which doesn't sound too bad initially to the NTSE. But what I have to do in that form is I have to prove that the child uh, that needs this laptop requires the use of this laptop. Not, not just requires the use of it, but why? Uh, I have to prove, which is fine, you know, you have to say why, but why throughout the full school day? So if the child, if I cannot prove that the child needs this laptop throughout the whole school day and it isn't written in some psychological report um, and I have to prove that the child couldn't access the entire curriculum without it, then I am not, they're not going to process it. So what I have to do initially is get a psychologist, uh, the person who diagnoses, let's say, the dyslexia, to say this child requires the use of a laptop throughout the school day and will not be able to access the curriculum without it. And here are some examples. And not only must that be stated on the psychological report, it has to be stated in an exact wording that is pleasing to the NCSE's eyes. And that, as, as you just heard me saying, that is the exact wording that is pleasing to the NCSE's eyes. If you deviate from that wording, you will be told, I'm afraid you cannot have the laptop. You have not said it and you have not said why in exactly the right words in the right order uh, so you need to learn the exact words in the right order but to trick you further the NCSE says this wording will change every 20 seconds so whatever the psychologist has written will be definitely invalid anyway and you will not have to you will not be able to get the laptop and the parent will have to go back to the psychologist who will most likely be on leave of some sort because the job is horrendous at the moment um, and you know the HSE you know, again, are as I don't know. I just don't know. The HSE are I from my from what I hear from people working in the HSE, it sounds horrific. I I complain about the Department of Education and the NCSE. I believe the H working in the HSE is just unbelievable. But uh, anyway, I don't know enough about that. But I would love to hear. I think there's someone doing a podcast actually. Um, another podcast. He's a guy who was a doctor in the HSE and he's left the profession and has written about his experience or I think he runs a podcast uh, pretty much exposing his time in the HSE I don't know uh, I don't know the name of it but probably worth checking out um, but anyway yeah so the NCSE basically changed the rule book every five minutes for the exact wording that's needed and anyway by the time someone somewhere edits the report so they find someone finds the psychologist to state the exact wording that the NCSE need at that point in time the laptop that you actually wrote down as the one that you needed is out of date because laptops kind of go out of date every you know six months or so so you have to go and fill in the forms again and not only that you have to get three quotes for this laptop that's very standard i know in the public service and whatever one is the cheapest is the one that you get it doesn't really matter 
about the specifications of the laptop. The, the NCSE do not care whether you get a really good laptop that will last five years or they all they care about is that you get a cheap one. And if you get a cheap laptop in Curry's or any of those places or PC World or all those places, if you get the cheapest laptop, you're, I mean, I mean, anyone who's done it already will know that you, you basically you've, you've, you've thrown money down the toilet, really, because um, basically you'll get about six months out of the laptop before it starts giving you problems. You need a child who needs a laptop will need a laptop that will last them as long as possible because the NCSE have this other weird arbitrary rule that they will only provide the assistive technology once every five years. So if you buy a really cheap laptop that's going to last you six months, you four and a half years of pain or you're just going to go out to buy a laptop yourself because the NCSE won't fund it and you know it and the thing is they don't apart from all that they don't care about guarantees for example um you know because again a guarantee for three years or five years on a laptop I would say is is essential for someone who has assistive technology and when I say a guarantee it's for when when the laptop inevitably breaks or slow down slows down or something else you know there could be water damage you know all these kind of things the NCSE don't care about any of that they are only interested in the cheapest price and effectively as well as that they've just put a, they've also put a cap on how much they're going to get you get a budget of 500 euro because the NCSE won't pay any more than that so right now it's still okay to get quotes by printing off prices from internet sellers so you could go on to Curry's PC World and get a find the laptop for that price. You could go on to Elara or any of those kind of places, um, our laptops direct, all those kind of places. And at the moment, that's okay. You can do that. But I, I'm 99% sure they're going to actually change that in the NCSC if they haven't done so already. Anyway, the sale of a laptop to your local IT store might mean a lot more to the IT store then it will to the likes of the big multinationals. I would love if I was able to go to my local IT store in, in, in where I live and say, can I have you know a number of laptops um, which will be funded by the Department of Education or through the NCSE um, because it will give them uh, some much needed business. I mean, local companies find it very hard to compete against the big multinationals. But the trouble is you're not going to get anything decent it's going to be very hard to get something decent from a local shop because they can't compete with the big companies. Because if you do, um, you know, if, if they do, it's just not going to be the same. Your local store can't match the price of an equivalent laptop. It just isn't possible for them. So you kind of have two choices. You can go to your local store and get an inferior laptop um, for, uh, for than, than one of the multinationals for about the same price or effectively buy it from someone who doesn't care what they sell you. And you see, if anything goes wrong with the laptop, if you chose the latter option, well, for anyone who's wanted to get their laptop fixed in one of these stores, look, you'll know the hardship of it all. It's, it's quite difficult. So you're, you, this is just a very simple example of a laptop. You know, and that's just, as I said, it's a small stuff. It's just simply getting a laptop is, as, I, as you can hear from my tone of voice, <laughs> It's a frustrating experience. I mean, for a laptop, you're nearly actually, you know, the way, the way they've done it, it's nearly quicker to... I mean, just go out and buy the laptop yourself without going through the system. I mean, and, and just putting it down to ICT if you possibly can. It's so frustrating. But anyway, what can you do? Look, let's move on to a bigger thing. Let's look at the emergency works. Um, now, for those of you uh, who don't know what emergency works are is, you know, and, and if you were living in your, if you live in a house um, and um, let's say your heating broke down or 
your roof had a hole in it or, or something that that would be considered an emergency um, and you would probably uh, ring a local company and get that fixed very very quickly not so in a school because you might expect if your school had a leaking roof or a boiler that only works if your caretaker gives a giant kick every 15 minutes that the Department of Education would fund the repairs for this and um, you know I'm not talking about like a simple repair job that could be taken from the minor workaround. So again, for those of you not involved in school, there's, there's, there's a grant that schools get almost every year called the Minor Works Grant. And the Minor Works Grant is basically uh, for small repairs, you know, like, I don't know. So let's say there's a, a problem with the heating and you need a plumber to come in just to fix it. That kind of thing is kind of minor works grants. But emergency work grants are the ones that can cost a lot of money. They're tens of thousands of euros. So the leaking roof or the, the, the boiler that's actually dead. Um, you know, um, so for example, a leaking roof, you know, that's a problem when it's raining, which in Ireland, in parts of Ireland anyway, is pretty much more than half the year. A broken down boiler means a cold stool, which in Ireland is basically November to April or May. Now, before I begin giving out about the Department of Education and the bureaucracy surrounding all of this, I want to make sure that I don't forget, because this wouldn't be an episode of If I Were the Minister for Education where I wouldn't bring the church into it, but I have to bring the denominational aspect of the education system into this just, you know, to, um, you know, it wouldn't it'd be remiss of me, um, basically, not to say, um, not to do this really, because it wouldn't be my podcast if I didn't manage to have a dig in here at some way. And it's not even a dig, to be honest, it's just a fact. And it's very important that we never forget this thing. It would be remiss of me not to say that the vast majority of school buildings in this country are owned by either the Church of Ireland or the Catholic Church. And neither of these churches pay a single cent to upkeep their own buildings. They own these buildings and they pay cheaper insurance uh, uh, because they own these buildings. So they're they're saving double here um, that they don't pay a single cent to upkeep them and they also ha- and, their sc- and their school pay cheaper insurance because they own these buildings. And effectively, these private entities expect the taxpayer through the Department of Education to not only fix anything wrong in the buildings, but for the church not to have a single expense for themselves and retain full control of that building once the repairs are done. Now, I've been highlighting this for a number of years um, online, and the general population of Ireland seem... It it, it just... There's things about the the population of Ireland (laughs) uh, that that, that I find very kind of... I just don't know how they... I don't know how they are able to categorise or kind of segment these feelings, but they're completely unable to condone the fact that the National Maternity Hospital building would be paid for by the taxpayer and gifted to the Catholic Church because, and and this is the thought process, why would anyone think it's okay to gift capital assets to a private body for nothing? You know, rightly, and, and the people who are protesting about the National Maternity Hospital, I'm absolutely right. But most of the people that do this and protest about this and actually take to the streets about this when it comes to school buildings, these very same people not only condone the exact same thing happening, they're actually really angry if the work isn't done to the school buildings and handed back to the church. Now, people who describe them, you know, it's, it's, it's just I can't see how they do this. They, they send their children to Catholic and Protestant schools and, and, and then and, 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 they, and then they're out protesting that the National Maternity Hospital is being, um, is being grant, given back to the Catholic Church. But the very school they send their children to is getting this all the time. Every year they're getting 
money gifted to them uh, through capital uh, projects. It's it's just I just don't understand it. Um, but anyway, um, what what else am I saying? Yeah, because I sorry, I, I suppose I'm going to harp on a little bit more about this because. You know, there's some people, uh, I've, I've, because I've been highlighting this for a while, some people who describe themselves as Catholics or Christians, um, you know, have argued with me, and, you know, rightly so, I love an argument, um, have argued with me that Catholics and Protestants are taxpayers, so therefore it's perfectly acceptable because I pay my taxes, I'm a Catholic, so I should, I, I might send my child to a Catholic school, so therefore my taxes pay for this Catholic school, so of course the building should be given to this Catholic community, despite the fact that they... I, anyway, I, I, I just that 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 the money goes to the Vatican eventually. Uh, anyway, that's 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 uh, it. it they, they, but anyway, it doesn't really matter what retort I give, um, because if you can't figure out why their argument is completely flawed, you probably don't see anything wrong with the idea that the vast majority of schools are controlled completely by religions, and therefore that's why your child gets taught a sex education program that leaves out LGBT plus relationships and anything that doesn't suit that religious group. It's also why you possibly baptised your child, possibly gave him a choice of whether he wants to, I gave him a choice of whether he wants to make his communion, even though you probably don't let, his, uh, let him make other choices that affect his entire future, and you probably stand proudly at the altar of that said church for your selfie, and you don't give a single seconds thought to the three or four children in your children's class who've been left out for the day because to quote one of my favorite priests of all time actually his name is father stack who appeared in father ted because you had fun and that's all that matters and before you say i'm taking giant leaps there go back to your feelings about the national maternity hospital and why you don't think it should be handed to the nuns so anyway let's get back to the episode about buildings and, ca- and emergency works all that aside given there's no chance i've convinced you and you're probably annoyed at me now uh that it's wrong uh it is wrong for uh, that i think it's wrong for the government to be funding these various churches through building works let's pretend all this is totally normal and that we'll critique the actual process and the point of this episode rather than the last five minutes rant um look it's impossible to go through a single episode of this podcast without me linking, um, you know, I suppose without linking uh, back to the issue of the NCSE or the patronage. I've done it within, what, is it 15, 18 minutes I've managed to uh, get both, uh, both of them into my episode. So let's talk about my boiler that needs to be restarted every 15 minutes by the caretaker. So uh, this happens in a lot of schools. Like I'm, just, I'm not making up something. I'm not exaggerating something. There are schools where they have a boiler that basically every, well, maybe not every 15 minutes, but every hour or two, a caretaker has to go, on, go, go in and restart it because it switches off every, every half hour or an hour. And this probably does qualify under the emergency work grant, in fairness. They don't just let a caretaker spend every 15 minutes kicking uh, a boiler. But the problem is that the school has to tender out for an engineer to oversee this project. So it's a long process. You can't just ring the department and say, look, I have a boiler that's about to go. Um, can, you, can you come tomorrow and fix it? What you have to do is this is a, an excruciatingly bureaucratic experience. Excuse me, I just needed a sip of tea there. Um, the problem is that the school has to tender out for an engineer to oversee the project. So that's three quotes of an engineer to oversee fixing a boiler. And once he or she is in place, the school then needs to also tender out for the repair job. And there are copious forms to fill out for this. And again, the thing is, it's the cheapest price that's going to get the job, no matter who it is. And all this is fine in urban areas, probably, where there might be dozens of civil engineers in big companies and you happen to live in that said urban area. However, if you live even in a reasonably sized town in Ireland, 
finding three engineers to take the time to quote you for a small job as basically replacing a boiler is actually very, very difficult. And the problem for the engineers is they already know that they have a really good chance of not getting the tender because they assume that the school is going to find a big company in Dublin or Cork to do the job. So if you're in a small town, you might go to, like there might be one civil engineer or one engineer in the town and he's the only one, So he's but he knows that you have to get three quotes. So he knows you're going to go to a Dublin company or a Cork company who will undercut him because, you know, they're bigger. And even if they, and the thing is, you know, even on the unlikely event that he's going to get the job or they are going to get the job or she's going to get the job, Sourcing another three quotes to get a boiler replaced is another heap of unpaid work for the um, for this engineer. And it's just simply not worth their time of doing up all the work for a, basically they have a 66% chance of not getting the job. So two out of three chance of not getting the job. And the contract to the boiler repair has to be worth their while too. And they still have the same problem with the bigger companies. They're unlikely to be able to buy the boilers in the same bulk as the big companies. And then it makes them completely uncompetitive. And they're very unlikely to be able to offer the same level of after-sales service for the same price as the big company. Again, making them completely uncompetitive. And if you look at the paperwork they have to fill in simply to have a chance of getting the job, you'll be able to see why many of them don't bother and don't bother quoting and inevitably they don't get the a local person doesn't get the job and inevitably a lot of the time schools have to pass over local people to get someone down from a city who really doesn't know and certainly doesn't care about your school down the country okay so that's i suppose if you got through my rant that's the emergency work rant and that's why it takes so long it can be months before a leaking roof or a, 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 a dead boiler can be replaced because of the bureaucracy around getting the job done. And you can, and if you're a, a person, a, a parent in a school who runs a kind of a, an engineering company, a company like that, a plumbing company or whatever, you might wonder, why do they not ask me to do the job? I do it, sure, I do it for cost price or whatever. That's why it, it, it comes down to this kind of, this bureaucracy uh, that that just well well it absolutely has its place and it, because and I know why it's there because the you know the opposite can happen we can be abused there is a flaw there but let's go bigger again and let's move to a big scale project like building a school how much bigger can you get than building a school now in this case in fairness schools themselves don't have to do the tendering and that's fair because these projects run into millions of euro um, and it would be very unfair to get a school to tender out for a job like that. Uh, but principals end up becoming kind of quasi project managers for free as the various subcontractors come and go doing things that make no sense. And a principal often has to go to a subcontractor who's just been basically possibly told by the main contractor, uh, lads, um, uh, you know, they, they might say to subcontractor, stick in this there and and very little instructions and they might come in doing it completely balls ways and a principal might have to go what are you doing oh i'm just putting in you know sockets you know that are unreachable or whatever or you know they don't know they're just the, the, the thing is oh look I, I i'm speaking from a bit of experience here you know you kind of the principal just ends up having to be a quasi project manager because subcontractors generally aren't given enough information to do their jobs um but anyway local knowledge as i said is, is and the point being that local knowledge is useful and most of these people have no idea about the needs of the school community and it might be small things like a color scheme you know for example and i can't believe i'm gonna I, I gosh this is turning into a strange podcast i'm going to make a gaa analogy yeah i mean yeah i am um right let's 
think, because I, I, I could get this wrong because I'm not very good at GA if you've listened to this podcast before. Okay, let's say there was a, a new Waterford school, okay? And it was, you know, that a new Waterford school was being was being built, you know, around Ferrybank or whatever, Waterford. And they were, and the colour scheme randomly from the Department of Education was black and amber, for example. Now, a local company, if they were building that school, would immediately hop on that and go, hey, no, that can't happen. See, I'm pretty good at the old GAA analogies here, aren't I? Anyway, some multinational conglomerate wouldn't have a clue why it's a no-no. And the labourers, even if they're local, they're not going to go against the plan, you know? And and, and, and don't worry, I, I, I have experience of, like, local people not going against a plan from a big company. Anyway, however, and it wasn't a GAA thing. I, I certainly didn't choose it. I didn't mind the colours of my school, really, to be honest with you. Um, but... Um, do you know, I, I, I had enough knowledge that if, if my school had been painted in the Leash colours or the Kilkenny colours, uh, being in Carlow, that, that might not be a good idea, I think. Um, you know, I don't even know what rivalries there are in Carlow. Um, I, I, I don't know if Carlow are good enough at GAA to have rivalries, but I think I think the general thing is uh, we, we, we were not supposed to like Kilkenny for hurling or, or Leash for just because they're our neighbours or something like that. Anyway, the um, I'm, I, 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 I'm digressing because... You know, when we're talking about the buildings, the main thing the big boys don't care about, so the big multinational conglomerates, is they don't actually care what state they leave the school in when they finish with it. And every principal will tell you that. Their job, and this is no criticism, is to make as much profit as possible. And in order to win the tender, they have to come in with a price as low as possible in order to win the job. It is in a literal sense a zero-sum game. The lower the price you tender, that's the one that wins the job. And given the size of these jobs, big companies see them as worth their while applying for them because they're worth millions. And before the tendering process even begins, smaller companies are just not in the race at all. Um, They just can't compete with the big companies. And this leaves the big boys to go up against each other. And the trouble begins when one of them the trouble begins when one of them gets the gig, okay? Because they have gone as low as they possibly can. And they often pay, and they often need to pay people then, their subcontractors, as low as possible. And sometimes, sometimes they will take chances and they'll cut corners. And two very big companies that built schools in the last 20 years definitely fell foul of this. Now, the best known of these is Western Buildings, or Western, or I think is the name of the company, who built quite a number of schools in the last 20 years. And as I'm recording this, there seems to be an ongoing battle between them and the Department of Education. Not that either of them listen to this podcast, and I don't want to say anything to get me into trouble, but I do know that Western had to retrospectively make the buildings safe from fire, as they obviously hadn't done that. However, the Department of Education have an oversight uh, as well into all of these buildings and they hire someone um, an independent person um, to uh, basically oversee every school project now I remember when my school was being built I had to attend regular meetings with this independent assessor where this guy who was hired by the Department of Education basically screamed at the contractors for 45 minutes solid because they'd made balls of something and then the company would go and fix it however once he was moved on his replacement was much more gentle and the outstanding things that were wrong were simply left wrong. So we've basically spent the, la- the best part of the last eight years fixing the heating 
and the sewage as they were never put in properly. There are cracks in every corner of every room along the walls and we've had to replace every blind in the school because the company provided was cheap ones that break very easily. The field at the back of our school is completely uneven and I shall say, was I will say, is directly responsible for me losing the staff sports day race a few years ago when I tripped over some sod of grass and fell on my face, much to the amusement of everyone. And that was the end of the teachers and staff race in Carlo Educate together. The school was supposed to come up, uh, by the way, just carry on because I have a litany of things. This is just my school. The school was supposed to come with a rainwater harvesting system and it never worked. It was also supposed to have a really cool feature, which is supposed to measure our energy levels around the school and automatically adjust them according to like energy use. At least I think that's what was supposed to happen because it never actually worked either. So I don't know what it was supposed to do. And every time something breaks, it's impossible to find spare parts because the company bought the cheapest parts from God knows where. I could go on and on about other things. And because the company has gone out of business, leaving me with a trail of destruction from unpaid subcontractors, I think the whole experience could be best summed up with an experience I had a year or two after the school was built. And um, because I think I think it could be summed up by this, by by you know something that happened to me. And it was um, I was watching Reeling in the Years. You know the that TV program on RTE. It's a I think it's one of the best shows ever by RTE. It takes a year and it looks back on the highs and lows of that year. So it's it's, it's done really well to me. For, you know to be fair anyway. I'm pretty sure everyone's favorite episode is 1990. Um, certainly my favorite episode. Remember that year from five single words. A nation holds its breath. I, I actually get teary every time I watch that. And over 30 years later, I can still smell that musty smell from the yellow floral cushion I dug my face into before David O'Leary was about to kick the ball. And I remember I knew I kind of couldn't hide behind that cushion. I kind of had to watch it. And I remember running out of the house screaming when, um, when, when, the, when, the, when the ball went in the back of the net. Well, that isn't the episode I'm referring to. No. The one I was referring to was actually from the Celtic Tigers, 2003, I think it was, specifically the one when they were laying the ground for the Bertie Ball. And who did I see standing next to Bertie O'Hearn with a spade in his hand? Well, it was the foreman from the guy from the company that built my school. So, yes, these people don't care whatsoever about local primary schools and ultimately i think this is where the problem lies the whole process of tendering is just is deeply flawed i understand why it's there but it's deeply flawed it is way too simplistic because all it does is simply looks for the cheapest offer on the table there are no points for reputation of past work there's nothing for supporting local economy and nothing for anything else except the price And it doesn't work because it's very easy to build a school very badly, as we all know now. And when the government build a school, they should be looking not just for price, but also for quality. They need to be looking at ensuring that it's easy to fix things when when they inevitably go wrong. So that means that the interior of the building should have products that are locally sourced. And rather than getting companies to compete in in this zero-sum game, as I called it, the Department of Education should set a budget rather than uh, get as low as you can. They should say, this is how much this should cost. 
and this is the money that will be available to you no matter who you are now remember all of these buildings are of a generic design and then local companies should then be able to tender for that price so the, go the government might give an arbitrary figure of 4 million euro is what you're going to get. So you compete for the 4 million euro budget and you do what you want, you'll get 4 million euro. Um, and, that, and, and basically you need to uh, ensure that you spend that 4 million euro on building that school and make it the best school that you possibly can for that price. And points for companies uh, to compete for that 4 million euro for things like sourcing local materials sourcing local employment, proof of the interest in the school potentially or the local community and so on. And this means that smaller companies won't be priced out of these jobs by the big companies that ultimately don't care and it gives the greatest possible chance for the school to be built properly. It makes it a win-win situation as well, it's actually a win-win-win situation because a school gets the best building it can get, the department gets to build a quality building and the local economy benefits as well. There's also indirect benefits to a town or a village if a new school building is being built. Restaurants and cafes have ready-made business when the project's going on. Local labourers have local employment and thus have more income to spend locally in local businesses. It seems like a complete no-brainer to me. Now obviously there's risks with something like this because one would have to be very careful to avoid local contractors opening up when they hear of a possibility of a big job. So you get the big boys opening small companies in towns, so sub-companies of companies let's say. Um, so we'd have to have uh, stipulations there that a company would have to be audited uh, before getting a contract in some way. I don't know if that's possible, I'm just it's, it's just something that came into my head as a possible um, risk. Um, but you know, I think something like that, some sort of system like that is probably uh, exactly what we need um, and I feel with those three examples we have um, you know probably enough for one episode and I, I hope I've made I suppose an otherwise dull idea for an episode into something that gives you a small insight into what goes into buying anything in schools whether that's a laptop for a child with additional needs to building a whole school and I think um, my idea is worth considering, you know, set a budget rather than set a tendering process, um, you know, in, in terms of go to the lowest possible price. Say you're going to get whatever million euro or you're going to get this amount, you get who you think is, uh, and, and score the points in a different way. So effectively, if I were the Minister for Education, I would be re-examining the tendering process so that local businesses would benefit. So there we have it. That is our episode for this week uh, on If I Were the Minister for Education, episode 65. I hope you enjoyed the episode and be sure to tune in every week for a new episode of If I Were the Minister for Education. If uh, you found this episode uh, by accident, you can find this podcast anywhere, iTunes, Spotify and all the other podcasting apps just by searching for If I Were the Minister for Education or on Shaw.net or on Shaw's podcast or something around the word on Shaw. Anyway, uh, I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so you, it'll land in your inbox uh, or into your podcasting app as soon as it's released and uh, you will get it at a nice respectable time during the week rather than Friday at 5.59 when I announce the podcast and um, please also feel free to review the podcast so others can find it more easily that's it for me for this week thanks so much for listening we'll catch you again next week all the best bye bye <laughs>